Some experts contend that a national unique patient identifier could boost the accuracy of patient record matching, helping to make patient information exchange more secure while improving patient safety and privacy. But others who oppose a national unique patient ID say such an identifier could lead to even more patient privacy worries. I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking to Julie Dooling, a director with the American Health Information Management Association. AHIMA is among some health IT industry groups that have been lobbying Congress to lift a 20-year funding ban that prevents the Department of Health and Human Services from working on a unique patient ID. So, Julie, what are the top challenges to patient record matching right now? What are some of the key privacy and security-related issues also involved with patient matching today? Our members, our HIM, Health Information Management members, are typically the managers in organizations of the Master Patient Index, which is also known as the MPI, and they are typically trained to follow a people, process, and technology approach. It's a pretty complex approach. It's certainly not a one-stop shop. And it's a combination of many different processes, both front and back end. And it begins at the point of registration to correctly identify and match our patients so that each patient has a unique record. Conservatively, there's about an 8 to 12 percent duplicate record error rate in healthcare organizations, which means that this percentage of patients in the database have duplicate record or records elsewhere in the database, which inhibits the provider from seeing this information and acting on it accordingly. So personally, I've seen much higher rates when I was working in the field. That 8 to 12% is an average. When we talk about technology in this process, in this people process and technology approach, I should say, there have been advancements. Biometrics is one of them. We're not quite at critical mass there yet. They are being implemented. Typically, they're palm vein scans that are being implemented in organizations, but it will take a while for that to get to critical mass. There are still people that choose not to participate and do not want to put their palm vein and be identified that way, so there's that challenge. There's also third-party data sources that are helping to augment the data. This is also sometimes referred to as referential matching. And it gives the healthcare organization a, an extra layer of augmented data to pull from to identify the patient. And those third-party data sources, a lot of that data is pulled from credit reporting agencies. When you set up utilities, it's pulled from that. So those are helpful in identifying patients, particularly if you have a patient with a, with a very common name in the patient population. And then there's a concept that's somewhat new. It's called auto-stewarding. And this is where there are algorithms that are being built in looking for duplicates that could be automatically matched. These are good, but they need controls, they need audits, and they need 
quality assurance. And then we have add-ons that organizations are also using. So you can see that these layers, it's a, it's a complex process. The technology add-ons, one of them is the USPS, our United States Postal Service, lookup tables. Sometimes those are helpful in identifying our patients. I just want to point out that all of these are very promising and a lot of them are in use, but they're not a total end-to-end -end solution. Just like unique patient identifier is not a total solution. So Julie, with that said, what are some of the key security and privacy issues that generally get raised when we talk about patient record matching and some of these other approaches that you were just describing? Well, I think what we need to remember is that all of these processes fall into HIPAA. They are governed by HIPAA. So back when the ban was first instituted, that was a pre-HIPAA paper-based world. Today, the challenges really lie with fraud, fraud of our healthcare information. And this happens today with or without a unique patient identifier. It happens. I think that there's much work to be done to create that end-to-end -end nationwide patient matching solution. And while we're certainly aware that there are privacy and security concerns like fraud, just think about this. If the portion of the total solution is a unique patient identifier, and I just want to reiterate that, it's a portion. The unique patient identifier is not going to solve this total solution. But if we were to implement a unique patient identifier as part of the total solution, we would not be then collecting individuals' social security numbers, which a lot of people have problems with today and will not give the provider their social security number because they want to separate their financial information from their healthcare identifiers. So that could be a positive step going forward. So Julie, as we've discussed, there is a 20-year ban on HHS to work on developing or adopting a national unique patient ID. But does HHS need to be at the center of such a development if this ban persists year after year? What is the private sector doing to improve patient record matching and patient IDs on a national basis? Is there sort of a move towards standards? Is there something that can be done that wouldn't necessarily require HHS to take center lead? That's a great question, Marianne. And there have been many different work groups that have come together that have recommended different frameworks for collecting patient demographic data. But until this ban is lifted, so, you know, we're in this innovative space in healthcare where innovation is being highly encouraged and sought after, yet this 20-year ban is stopping us in our track. Because if Congress does not include the ban in their final end-of-the-year spending package, at least a conversation between industry and government can begin. And this is something we haven't had, like you said, for the last 20 years. What we need is to start a broad collaborative approach and discussion on how a unique patient identifier could improve our patient identification in our health information systems. 
But again, it's important to note that this solution could be a unique patient identifier, or it could be something like a framework that we've several organizations have worked on. There's several frameworks out there with data collection standards that drive better patient matching. Right now, the industry, along with our governmental partners, cannot even discuss what this total solution looks like with the ban in place. The other thing that I'll mention is that one of the reasons why this is so complex is that master patient indexes and EHRs are not all built the same. They do not function in the same manner. Some of them have basic algorithms working in the background while others are advanced. And the MPI reporting process is, not, if it's not maintained on a daily basis by trained professionals, this data just gets incredibly dirty and it cascades quickly through a multitude of various health information systems, creating more duplicate records. So duplicates begat duplicates. And that is one of the biggest challenges. We're not all collecting the same data. One organization may collect a first name, last name, and a middle initial, while others may collect the entire middle name. Some may collect a cell phone, while others are not. We are not all collecting the same data. And there has been work to that end, like I said. So I think opening this up to where we can talk to our governmental partners and starting to use some of the things that have already been built out in the industry will only help us move this forward. Now, Julie, you had mentioned fraud being a problem earlier. What would a unique patient ID do in terms of potentially helping the fraud issue? Or would it perhaps open up the chance for more fraud because now you might have a so-called unique patient ID that might get used or stolen by someone who shouldn't be using it? So that is yet to be determined. I will say that a unique patient identifier will be another identifying point to match that patient to their unique record, which matching, you know, if we've got these duplicate error rates today, it'll hopefully make that better where we can identify our patients better in our database and in turn that allows that provider, that physician to collect all of the records from that patient so that they are providing the best patient care. I don't know what a unique patient identifier would bring in terms of fraud or not. Like I said, it exists today, and the unique patient identifier would be one more point to help match patients to their unique record. And finally, Julie, if there was the ability for either HHS or maybe the industry getting together and coming up with a national unique patient identifying type of system, would this require the health sector to then sort of overhaul all their existing EHR systems, you know, billing systems, anything that has a pre-existing patient ID in it? I think that there's a lot of 
unknowns here. I think that we all have to work together so that the goal is accurate patient matching to enable seamless interoperability health records nationwide. And we look to different countries outside of the U.S. where they have implemented a unique patient identifier. I'm sure that we could learn from them as well. But we all need to work together collaboratively to find the best solution for this complex issue. And hopefully the release of the ban will enable us to do so. Thanks, Julie. I've been speaking to Julie Dooling. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.